It's your girl, Tasha Ray, the host of Womanhood Decoded, where each episode we endeavor to explore the intersections of womanhood, motherhood, and sexuality. Today, I have a wonderful guest that I actually met at the She Podcast Conference in Arizona. Welcome to the show, Narissa. Tell us your name and a little bit about yourself. Well, hi, Tasha. Um, thank you again for having me. My name is Narissa Sue, and I'm a, leader, a leadership and legacy coach. And I inspire female leaders to step into their femme power, unleash their purpose, and claim their divine riches so that they can leave their mark on the world. And uh, yeah, I've loved meeting you too at the conference. It was so much fun and just, um, just a really great group of, of women. All right. What I enjoyed about um, She Podcast in comparison to other conferences that I've attended um, is that self-care was actually built into the conference. Typically, when I go to conferences by day one, I'm exhausted because it's like one session after the next keynote. And there's really hardly time to use the bathroom if you want to be a participant in all that's offered. So I really appreciate it. For example, the morning yoga, and they actually had a, a session on an adult coloring. I know we met when I was getting um, food, I believe, um, on one of the breaks. So yes, lunch break. <laughs> I, I just really enjoyed the conference. I think it was so thoughtfully planned. And uh, even the session length was great. Uh, and the speakers, I felt like everybody just brought so much value to the table. Um, but it was it was a little touches for me. Like they they were very thoughtful, um, and even down to the vendors. Like everything that was there was there to support us and really help us um, not only build community with each other. Uh, and yes, I love the self care aspect of it, um, but just all the tools that I walked away from, I think, were just really invaluable. So. Absolutely. So this episode, being that um, people always laugh in my circle because I always use this phrase, and that is, um, I always say that I am on the precipice of 40. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because it's you remember, coming. right, in, in math, in grade school, you know, after five, you round to the nearest 10. Well, I'm 38, I'll be 39 in August, and I just feel like I'm in a completely different place. Um, yesterday, I listened to a conversation on navigating your 20s and how it was really different than how you perceived it or what you thought it was going to be when you were in your teens. So now that I um, am approaching my 40s and so are you know my contemporaries and or peers, what I wanted to know is, do you have any general advice um, as it pertains to navigating your 40s as it um, in relationships or professionally, because I don't know, I just feel like in my 20s, if life was a road, it was filled with all sorts of um, confusion, 
And that confusion was representative of, I guess you could say, fog or dew early in the morning, I guess, that's sometimes on the road, depending on where you live geographically. And now that I'm, you know, like I said, on the precipice of 40, I feel like I can see now um, the potholes. I can see the yields. I can see basically the issues before I approach them and I'm able to adjust accordingly. So what can I look forward to um, as far as more clarity? Oh my gosh. Well, congratulations almost in your 40s and just savor the moment, right? Like I, I really feel like we... We really, as women, are in a beautiful place in our history where I think the, the old notions of fearing getting older are, are falling away. And instead, you know, just feeling really grateful to be able to have the opportunity to age gracefully and to come into our own. You know, I think it's, it's such a rite of passage to turn 40 and, um, and to continue to, to grow and, and grow more and become more of yourself. Um, so I, I feel like when I turned 40, I, I really just embraced it. I embraced it and I gave myself complete and utter permission just to be myself, like just courageously be myself and just to have fun with it. And I think that, um, I really just stopped caring, you know, and I just stopped caring what other people were thinking about me. And it, it really just gave me this level of permission to just really soak into, you know what, this is it. Because I think our whole lives, we, uh, you know, when we're kids, we're like, oh, when I'm a grown up, I'm going to do this. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm when I'm at this age, I'm going to do this. And I feel like 40 uh, for me has just been like, this is it. I've arrived. Like this is the juicy goodness that I've been waiting for my whole life where I can just really soak in and um, and just begin to live in a way that honors my true spirit. So I think if there's any advice that I have is just to really embrace where you're at. And I love that you said, you know, I'm just becoming more and more aware because I think that's really what it what it is. Like this whole aging thing is just having the wisdom to look at things with fresh eyes and have the, having the perspective to move forward with grace. And um, and really just, again, allowing yourself uh, to, to be in it, right? Living your truth. Right. I just... Listen, audience, this is a audio podcast. You're not able to see outside of my trailer, but this woman radiates um, self-acceptance and peace and joy and basically all the things that I aspire to. Um, I'm very energetically aware. I've been told that I'm empathic and I just felt such a warm energy from you. And I don't want to assume because I feel like that's something that white America tends to do often. So as it pertains to who or how you identify culturally, can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So I identify as an indigenous woman um, of mixed descent. So I have a very mixed uh, background culturally. um, And I'm, I'm Soto Ojibwe. I'm also Chinese and a little Swedish. So I got a lot of flavor in there. (laughs) And I identify as a female. So I am a woman, an indigenous woman. Absolutely. So I think that um, 
as it pertains to podcasting specifically, um, I'm always very interested to hear people's journeys as it pertains to how they got to podcasting and specifically um, from a cultural or an inclusive standpoint, how important do you think it is that there are women of different ethnicities that um, decide to podcast or do you think it even matters? Oh my gosh, I think it matters so much. And, and I think that's exactly why I got into podcasting because I wanted to be a representative, right? I feel like there are so many times in my life where I had these uh, beautiful, powerful mentors that stepped forward to take me under uh, their wing. And I resonated a lot with them because there was something that I identified with it, with them. And a lot of the women uh, or the female mentors I've had have been incredibly diverse. And so I think having a diverse uh, diversity and our voices out there is absolutely necessary, especially in this time in, in history when women have more opportunity than we ever had to use, than we've ever had to use our voices. Like it's almost like it behooves us to jump out there um, and, and just start sharing our stories, sharing our love, sharing our talents and our resources with each other so we can rise together. Because I, th I think there's so many women out there that have a story within them. They still have something to share. You know, they have gifts and talents to share and they haven't quite figured out how to tap into those yet, which is a lot of the work that I do with my clients is, is really tapping into that true self and tapping into that sense of purpose and, and guiding them to step into their power and their fullness so they can go out into the world and serve. Right. You touched on something very important to me, which is being and operating um, authentically or being your authentic self. Um, for me, I found that I became very good at compartmentalizing due to um, the limitations that were put on me by corporate America. Um, I don't know if you have experienced any of that as it pertains to feeling like you had to assimilate um, as it pertained to professionally outside of podcasting? Is that something that you've ever experienced in the workplace? A hundred percent. I actually came from corporate America. I came from the advertising industry and I have been in corporate or I was in corporate for over uh, 15 years, almost 20, actually, if I'm dating myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yes, I've been through, I've been through it all. And I think, um, that you do in corporate, uh, you know, and that you do to some regard feel like you have to compartmentali uh, compartmentalize yourself in order to survive. Um, and that's, I, I think, where a lot of suffering comes in. And there's so much suffering in the world right now. And one of the things I truly believe at my core is that our suffering comes from repressing our truth from repressing, you know, who we are on the inside. Um, and that suffering, suffering is entirely optional, right? And as we learn to allow ourselves to become more of who we are and less of what we believe we need to be to please others, uh, the more freedom we feel, the more passion we feel, the more uh, positivity and inspiration comes through us. Um, and, and it's a really powerful thing. So, 
Um, you can be yourself in, in the corporate environment in a lot of ways, right? And that's one of the boundaries that I tested towards the end of my time in corporate. And, and now I still do some consulting here and there um, for HR. I also, you know, do some corporate training. Um, is that, that was my background. Um, and I was also an executive recruiter. So um, what that means to everybody is that I have spoken to you a lot of people in my lifetime. <laughs> and, uh -huh. and that's what I love. Like, I love working with women. I'm so naturally curious about learning about people's stories. Um, and I think that that is the one thing that, that people often come to me for is about how to manage relationships, right? Because I think that I, I believe that uh, depression is also um, a relationship dysfunction. And a lot yeah. of that comes from not having healthy relationships with ourselves, number one, um, with our health and wellness, you know, with our family and friends, with our personal growth, with our spirituality, um, and with our career, right? We're, um, and then also with our significant others and, and the people that we love. So it all comes down to uh, relationship. Absolutely. I agree with that completely. And I just feel that um, as far as my career and the societal pressures that I felt in the inner office, um, things that I had to navigate. So I come from a background of being a broadcast journalist for over a decade. And in that capacity, everything about my appearance was dictated, especially as it pertained to my hair. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't able to wear my hair like I'm wearing it right now, which is in box braids. I had to assimilate to the fullest as far as my uh, physical, as far as I was able to physically. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt every day like an extra weight of pressure I felt as far as, for example, on days that it would rain, I would be super worried about my edges or worried that someone would say something about the fact that my hair was wavy on camera, you know, because especially when I was working in the South and the humidity um, was, you know, something to reckon with. Um, I just always felt like I was under an additional microscope. So um, one of the things that we speak about um, as far as culturally is this thing called code switching in that um, you present yourself one way professionally and you present yourself another way when you are with your peers and or family. So as it pertains to being your authentic self, I'm wondering, um, is that something that you also experienced professionally or is that something that you were able to bypass? Um, that's such a powerful topic. And I have to admit that I was really ignorant about um, hair too until I got into recruiting. And I was actually told uh, 10 years ago uh, to advise African-American uh, candidates to not wear their hair in braids, that it wasn't, you know, professional. And now I'm like, how awful, like, I, like what an ignorant thing, you know, and these are things that we don't we don't necessarily know until we know. So I love that you're talking talking about that because I remember how embarrassed I was when I realized, you know, um, how we had been advising um, candidates and we, what we thought was a helpful way, but was was really just repressive. That's awful and insulting, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, 
So I think for me, um, I have always just kind of been, I've been a standout. Like I wear what I want to wear. Um, there was a time when I was supposed to wear a suit to work and I did wear a suit to work every day and we were supposed to wear pantyhose and I would just never wear pantyhose. I'm like, I just, you just can't make me wear pantyhose. Um, I'm like, wear black tights in the fall. Okay. That's different. But pantyhose, my goodness. Right. Um, my mom is such a pantyhose person. She, I'm telling you every single time that it would be something at church or anything that requires a dress, she would be like, where are your pantyhose? I just feel like they're of the devil. They require, <laughs> they are, they're very restrictive as far as I don't care what size you get. And then I just felt like, I don't know, like my lady areas need air. And I just mm -hmm. felt like being cooped up in pantyhose somehow cut off oxygen to necessary areas. I don't know. I was just, I agree with you is my point. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, and, but I mean, my hair, I have pink and purple hair right now and that, that would be completely, um, you know, unacceptable in the corporate environment that I was in. Um, in advertising, they didn't care. So I was in the advertising creative industry for about 10 years and, you know, it's a creative environment. So anything goes, I mean, you could wear checks and jeans to work if you want, or you could come dressed to the nines. It was really a lot more freedom. And I think that's why I loved being in that industry was for um, being around creatives and just being mm -hmm. in an environment where there was more celebration of diversity. And I also worked for a Hispanic ad agency. So um, I've always put myself in environments where diversity has been celebrated. And, and that's just where I've always felt at home. Right. Well, if we could delve a little deeper, if you don't mind, I wanted to kind of um, switch gears and speak to what it has been like personally, as it pertains to managing your personal relationships. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about myself and that I come from a very, um, conservative Christian upbringing. And the thought was, um, if life was a cake, for example, my mom was born in the 50s and I was born in the 80s, the expectation for my mom's generation was to acquire as much education as one could do as a woman and then to begin a family. And that was basically the blueprint for happiness and or success. However, in my generation, um, the focus, if life was, was keeping with the same illustration, um, the focus is still on education, but also for me, it's important to make a contribution to society, um, to make a social impact, and then also the pursuit of inner peace. And then whatever relationships that I have is the cherry on top. Bottom line, I have never pursued or thought that marriage was the pinnacle of female success. And so I'm interested to know, being that you are a woman that um, has lived life, were those things that you grappled with at some point in your life as it pertained to, you know, how you viewed yourself? Wow, that's such a big, juicy question. Um, <laughs> And uh, my brain is going a mile a minute. Uh, so I, I would have to agree that uh, my grandmother, and I was raised by strong women. I, I didn't have my dad around. I didn't really have men, men in my life um, 
not not a lot of positive male influence to say when, uh, growing up. Um, and they really drilled into me, like make money, get your career together, put your focus on yourself, be an independent woman. And if there's a man, then like you said, that's just the man, the marriage, the relationship was the, the cherry on top. It was getting myself into a position where I felt strong and financially sound. And, and I, I understand why that they, they raised me that way because they ultimately ended up raising children on their own and they were single moms, you know, and it was, uh, it's, yeah. it was definitely hard. Um, and, and then I became a single mother later on in life as well. I did, I did do the thing, right. I got the career, I got the education, I got the career. And then I, I got married. I got married later in life, actually. Uh, I was about 39, uh, almost 40 when I got married and I got married for the wrong reasons. You know, I got pregnant with my son and I was like, oh, well, I guess we should get married. And we had been together for maybe like six years at that point. Um, and the marriage only lasted about a year <laughs> because uh -huh. I, um, because ultimately what I learned from getting married for the wrong reasons, which was, you know, because we had our child and there was love presence. I mean, our son was made of love and, and we did love each other, but it just wasn't the right fit for us uh, long-term. Mm -hmm. But we, we tried to make it fit just because everything looked good on paper. Everything looked mm -hmm. perfect on paper. And, um, and the marriage ultimately just didn't work because of the, the misfit. But again, you know, what I did learn about marriage is that it is the ultimate test of how much work you have done on yourself. Like how deep have you dived into your inner work? Because if you are somebody that that buys into the philosophy that marriage is going to solve everything, that somehow there's, you know, the fairy godmother and the magic comes and then woo, we live happily ever after yeah. and it's beautiful, then we have definitely been sold a line of goods, right? <laughs> it is not the case. Um, marriage brings up all of your shadow work. It brings up all of the things that are unhealed in your life. It brings up all of the triggers. And, and it really, I think we don't prepare people very well to enter into marriage, um, you know, without sharing this mindset that you need to be prepared, right? There's some things that you might want to look at and, and to dig into your healing and to see what kind of woman you want to be, you know, go, going into the marriage. And one of the things that I work with with my clients a lot is not focusing on calling in the one, right? Uh -huh. It's not focusing on what does your perfect partner look like. The focus is on what kind of person do you want to be? Like focus on becoming the ideal partner that you want to marry. Like fo yeah. fo focusing, focus on becoming that woman that is going to be the wife or the partner of, of that ideal partner that you're calling into your life. And the more we work on ourselves to become that amazing, beautiful partner, uh, the more you raise your vibration and you begin to attract different types of people. And eventually, by doing that work on yourself, you're going to attract and attract and magnetize that ideal partner into your life so you can have a fruitful marriage. 
And it works the same way. Like if you have a lot of things that you have not unhealed, that are unhealed and that you have not taken a look at, if you're carrying a lot of ang anger, sadness, fear, hurt, and guilt from the past, which we also call emotional baggage, right? And you're dragging uh -huh. that into your relationship. Then when you get married, you're going to have to unpack that with your partner, which oh, can I be done, right? It can uh -huh. be done totally, but it's just a lot more challenging. It's a lot more challenging. Absolutely. I am just so grateful for this insight because what I am wondering, um, in my family dynamic, there was this code of silence as it pertained to marriage. The messaging was, as a woman, you're supposed to be married. And then there were these other messages like what happens behind closed doors stays here. What happens in the home stays in the home. Don't air your um, dirty laundry. And those sort of sayings um, created a culture, like I said, of silence or suffering in silence. And even though there are marriages in my family that have lasted, you know, 40, 50 plus years, I would venture to say that only a few of them are truly functional and happy or from what I can say from living or observing from the outside, which essentially is an awful um, advertisement for my generation as it pertains to marriage. And so what I'm interested to know is why do you think the generations previous to this one were willing to quote unquote suffer in silence or to stay married for these long durations of time, but then the relationship actually isn't working. Do you think it was all because of a financial reason was the motivation to stay because the husband might've been the breadwinner? Or do you think there were other things at play? You know, that's, that's an interesting question. And I think that, you know, some people, yes, they probably stay out of financial security. Maybe, you know, back in the day, the, the women were as prevalently out there in the workforce making their own money. Um, and I, I do think we see a lot more single women now because they are in a financial position to make better choices for themselves. So they are just not willing to stay in relationships that are not not healthy right which and rightly so mm -hmm. um and uh, but i i really fundamentally believe that marriage is sacred mm -hmm. that it's not just a piece of paper and that if we frame our our thinking around what marriage truly is which is a sacred bond between two people saying hey we are going to ride this out together. We're going to learn all about each other. We're going to continue to work on ourselves earnestly. And, and that is what the work is. And that's where the mm -hmm. beauty is in learning how to be with one person and, and go through the ups and downs. And, and I think that people suffer in silence because, you know, I, you know, from my upbringing, we also didn't talk very much, you know, and my mom was actually pretty, ahead of her time talking about things that were pretty uncomfortable. Um, but we never talked about what was going on in, in like the family dynamic. Um, and there's always a lot of fear about just speaking up. And mm -hmm. I think that's what we need more of in order for people to have successful marriages is having the community support. It's like when you have a wedding, 
the wedding is not about the cake. It's not about the dress. It's not about the flowers or the bridesmaids dresses, right? All those things are beautiful, right? They're part of the experience. But when you gather your family and friends together and they are there to witness your marriage, what you're doing is you're making a declaration and you're actually asking those people to be present because you are asking those people to stand up for you and say, we will support you when you guys are struggling right? We will support you. We will love you. We will be there to help support your marriage, your family, and you guys will do the same for us, right? And that is the, the, the power of creating community. And so marriage is, is the bond between two people, but it's also creating a community and being part of a greater thing because we ultimately, we need each other and we need the communication and we need to learn how to effectively communicate with each other. Um, which I think is is some of the art that is being lost between uh, two people is, you know, we have so much social media and email and all these other things, like all these uh, outside stimulants that we forget to just sit down and have honest communication with each other. And the more like open and raw we can be with and vulnerable with how we feel, right? Not what the other person's doing that we don't like you know, not with all the things that we don't have or don't want, but actually getting real and being able to sit in front of another human being and just say, this is how I feel. Uh This is, this is what I'm afraid of. This is what hurts me. You know, this is what makes me happy. This is what, how I, when I feel happy, when this happens, you know, and I think that's where the suffering goes away, right? Because we're saying that, um, you know, it's going back to that belief that suffering is caused by not living your truth. But if you're speaking your truth, which is your emotions, you're speaking your emotions, you're sharing yourself, then you're going to feel growth. You're going to feel supported. You're going to feel like you're able to fully express yourself as a woman. And that's so important uh, for us being in our feminine power and, and really owning that is being able to communicate our emotions so our partners can respond to us. Ooh, that is so good. It's so much wisdom. I wanted to know, you said uh, something earlier and I wanted you to expound on it if you could. You um, brought up the terminology shadow work and I would like to know, could you um, give your personal definition as it pertains to that so that the audience can know because it's a buzzword I feel that is Mm -hmm. widely circulated but we tend to have different definitions and then um, as it pertains to shadow work how would you tie in the work um, emotional intelligence when it comes to communicating okay um that's a good question. So basically, I I know there's several definitions, right? And there's a lot of spiritual jargon out there. Um, but in my training, um, as a master integrated breakthrough coach, I follow the philosophies of Carl Jung. And Carl Jung believes that, you know, everyone carries a shadow um, and it's less embodied in our individual conscious life. So it's things that are buried deep in our subconscious and it is usually the things that we are hiding, right? So, and one of the other things that, um, that we often say, or that I often say is that, you know, we can't heal what we are hiding. Uh. So we can't, we can't heal what we're hiding and we're also not able to heal what we're not willing to speak about. 
So if you're willing to speak truth and shed light on your pain and the things that you feel are unlovable and that you're hiding, tucking away in, in dark corners so you hope nobody can see it, you know, uh -huh. even though even though everybody can, they, they can still see it, even if we're really good at hiding stuff. Um, that we just begin to look at those things with love and we start and we find people who will come and sit in the darkness with us and mm -hmm. and love us while while we're gaining the courage to start looking and reviewing some of those things and and just looking at it from a standpoint of understanding and curiosity not with judgment you know, there's no, there's no, I, I also believe it's, there's really no good or bad. You know, it's all about what works for us and what doesn't work for us. And always looking at the things in our life, including our pain and the things that have happened to us in the past with the eyes of the curious observer. Uh, meaning, you know, what can I learn from this? You know, what, what lesson was here for me? And that's not negating the fact of the power of the pain of whatever happened, because there's definitely, um, you know, I deal with women that have had deep, deep trauma. They've experienced horrific abuse. They've been in terrible um, traumatic accidents, and um, they've had physical violence of every kind. They've really, really had some terrifying events in their life. So I'm not saying that um, in any way we're making light of it. But there is something so powerful about looking into the shadow and saying, okay, that happened to me. And now what? Like, mm -hmm. and that happened to me. And what meaning can I give this event that's going to make me feel more powerful and, and be able to move forward and use that power to in service of other women, in service of other people that might have gone through the same thing, you know, whether that's cancer or divorce or and some type of abuse. Um, there is so much power there to help other people uh, survive, you know, what, what we've all been through. So I think in a nutshell, that's what shadow work is for me and how I approach it with my clients and, and that I, you know, I really see it as a sacred space and a place of honor to be able to sit in the darkness with my clients. And lead them to the light because ultimately that's what I do is I champion that way forward and shed and help them shed light on the places where they feel most unlovable. Wow. That is so, so powerful. I feel like all of the adjectives that I know are falling short at this moment to just explain the level of um, awareness that you have so eloquently, you know, laid out. I feel like there's one last area that I would feel <laughs> incomplete if we didn't speak about. And that is intimacy as um, a woman moving uh, through your 40s and beyond. Um, I'm wondering, do you have any advice as it pertains to either menopause and just the changes um, hormonally? Because I was just made aware in a recent um, doctor visit that I'm perimenopausal mm. and that I recently have woken up in a cold sweat. And to be honest, being that, you know, what's going on with COVID, I thought, well, maybe I have COVID. You know, mm -hmm. I went uh, <laughs> like, oh, no, 
Yes, I know I'm having a whole panic attack. I went and got tested and they're like, no, you don't have that. I'm like, so what is going on with my temperature? And so then they sent, I went to urgent care initially. And so they were like, well, you need to go to your primary care physician so they can do some deeper testing. I'm like, well, what else could be possibly the matter? They're like, well, we can't really, we don't know. That's why you have to go to your primary physician. <laughs> so then I get to my primary physician and she's just like, okay, so what brings you in today? And I'm like, well, I was just told I don't have COVID. However, I keep having these extreme changes in my temperature. Like I feel warm to the touch and then I take my temperature and it's in the normal range, but yet I feel like I'm on fire. And then she just laughed. She was just like, well, we can get to the bottom of it. I don't mean to laugh, but you know, I, I'm not going to tell you what I think it is until I have definitive proof. I'm like, okay, well, you know my temperament. That's not going to work for me. Can you tell me what you think it might be? So I'm not sitting here, you know, um, in a whole panic. And she was just like, well, it sounds like you are perimenopausal. I'm like, OK, um, I've heard of that. Can you tell me more? She was just like, yeah, but before, you know, we do a deep dive into it, I'd rather just do a hormone panel just to make sure, you know, um, because it could be something else. And I'm like, OK, so long story short, they did the panel and came to find out my hormones are um, not at the level that they should be um, as far as my age, I guess you could say. I'm um, early on the spectrum as far as perimenopausal uh, or being perimenopausal. Typically, I was told that happens in your mid-40s to early 50s, but I'm in my late 30s, as I told you. So um, what I'm wondering is, for me, I experienced a huge uptick in my sexual desire once I got to my late 20s. Because before my late 20s, sex to me was something that it, I could have it or not have it. It wasn't something that was really on my mind like that. But then all of a sudden... Um, like I said, I got to a point where I'm literally at my desk and I'm throbbing and there had been no um, male stimuli or any sort of stimuli that would make me feel that way. And I was told that it was a hormonal shift that, again, was responsible for me feeling, you know, um, extra excited sexually. Basically, I felt like I was a pubescent boy. In my, <laughs> late, oh my goodness. in my late 20s, early 30s, where, like mm -hmm. I said, I had never felt those sensations before, you know. So here I am, like I said, now and I'm, you know, facing the fact that I am perimenopausal, which really isn't problematic for me. But it's just another thing, you know, that we as women have to navigate. So I'm wondering, um, do you have any insight as it pertains to what I can look forward to as far as my sex drive and things of that nature? Oh my goodness. Yes. That is such a, a new landscape that I'm also navigating. Um, I've been fairly blessed that I'm not, I'm not menopausal yet. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm probably perimenopausal just because of my age, but I haven't gotten that checked yet. Um, but I, I can't say that I started to, to do things a little bit differently when I turned 40, because I noticed that I was getting some brain fog. I also was getting some night sweats and things like that. And I have a couple of girlfriends that have been going through, uh, go, going through that and also your cycle changes. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, it's, it's interesting cause I just spoke to a woman, um, 
her name is LJ Johnson and she is a hormone coach and she talks about um, women and, and hormones. And we actually just chatted on, on, um, on my podcast, but she was bringing up the different things that women can do, which it has a lot to do with our diet. Um, so our diet makes a bigger impact than we can ever imagine. So one of the uh, two things that I did um, just recently to really help transition um, and prepare my hormones is to go gluten free, uh, gluten free, <laughs> got marbles in my mouth. And I also, uh, I am off sugar. So I've been officially off sugar for a couple of months now. And wow. that is, that's no small feat, guys. It's yeah. like there's sugar in everything. I had no idea. You start reading the back of boxes and you're like, whoa, they have like nine different names for sugar. Right. Um, so, so I think diet is, is super important. Um, and then, um, yeah, as far as sex drive, I think for me, I, I kind of went through the same thing. It was really weird, but it, it was like, yeah, late thirties when it really kicked up for me. Um, and things just seem to have really leveled out and just kind of mellowed out just with changing my diet and getting enough sleep. I know rest is becoming more and more important. Um, and recently a girlfriend of mine, actually a couple of my girlfriends of mine, uh, recommended that I start taking maca. Uh, yeah. It's this, uh, it's M-A-C-A. And it, it's actually helped me um, uh, from what I can tell because uh, I've just started taking that recently. But, you know, three of my girlfriends told me about it within the span of a week and they swear by it. So um, and it's never too early to start taking maca because it helps regulate the hormones in your body naturally. So I think anything that we can do to um, to take natural supplements and not go on prescription medication is really going to help us with the the longevity of our health and our hormones uh, in the long run. I am so thankful those for those tips, and I know that my audience is as well. Before we conclude this episode, could you tell the audience the name of your podcast and how long you've been podcasting and what topics that you cover? Sure. So my the name of the podcast is The Lioness Method, and it's yeah. it's for female entrepreneurs and, and business leaders. And really, I love, I'm just so passionate. Like, I love working with women. I just have a natural cheerleader in me for other women that are out there making a big difference in the world. And so my goal is to edify the voices of women that are out there making an impact and um, to have a platform where they can share about the work they do, who they serve, and then ultimately share about the journey, you know, because I think we have this whole, you know, cinematic view of what life is supposed to be, right? What it should look like. I hate that word should. Uh -huh. um, and so it's really about, well, okay, what's the nitty gritty? Like what, what kind of challenges did you have to overcome to, to get where you're at? And a lot of the women that I interview are multi-million dollar earners. So they know a thing or two about, you know, making some mistakes on the way up. So it saves us all some time for those of us that are, are starting out. And the podcast is, is not even a year old. I'm on my 25th episode. So pretty new to podcasting too. Awesome. And what platforms can your podcast be found on? So I'm on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify um, and then in several different countries. Uh, so yeah, I can be found pretty much anywhere podcasts are.
are posted. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Narissa. I feel that this is just episode has felt like a warm hug from one of my aunties, honestly. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I'm yes. so grateful to you. And um, I would encourage uh, my listeners to definitely go check out Narissa's podcast. I'm sure she continues to um, uplift and to inspire in each episode, just like she did on our episode today. So again, my name is Tasha Ray, and I am the host of Womanhood Decoded, where each episode we endeavor to explore the intersections of womanhood, motherhood, and sexuality. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.